1: Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, saints who found God's will and how you can too. Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives.
0: It's my pleasure to have the privilege of telling you about a new saint, Charles de Foucault. He will be canonized at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome this May 15th, 2022. He was born in 1858 in France, and he has a sister raised in the faith. He received all the sacraments. At six years old, his parents died And so he was raised by his grandfather. As a young man, then his grandfather died and he inherited a huge amount of money. He gave up belief in God. He lived a very undisciplined life. He became extremely obese because he was spending money on the finest food and drink. He was entertaining all the time. He slept all the time. With his grandfather dead, a huge amount of money, and being a young man, 20 years old, he just had no discipline to live a a life the way that somebody should to put it to good use. In his diary, he wrote at the time, I sleep long, I eat a lot, I think little. And that was about it. But he had, he had a, a great intellect, a certain talent for geography and a curiosity about things that will help him along towards his saintly life. And it's 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 how God uses the person he created us to be, to get us where we need to go. And that's exactly what happened to him. He went into the military and traveled some uh, in Algeria and got like a travel bug. But he was so undisciplined and not terribly reliable in the military that he even ignored the rules, like he had a mistress and he brought her into the barracks to sleep with him and things like this. I mean, he just was careless. He still had some of his money left at this point. He would treat his friends to, to great dinners and things like that. Finally, he was kicked out because he had a mistress and, and that wasn't allowed. That ended his military career. Then he decided that he wanted to, to travel, to be a, a serious traveler. And he became quite famous because of it. Europeans were forbidden from going into Morocco, but Jews were allowed. So there were the Muslims and the Jews. And over time, a lot of the Jews were actually, by this time, in ghettos, Jewish ghettos. But anyway, he decided to disguise himself as a Jewish rabbi. And he had these long robes and he'd keep a little notebook and something to write with up his sleeve because if you were caught, you could be killed, said that you were a spy. Let me read a quote from him. Let me quote him. In 1883, Europeans could travel visibly and safely only in that territory, which came under the Sultan's rule. They could only enter the rest of Morocco if they were disguised. And even then it was at the risk of their lives. They were considered spies and would be killed if recognized. Nearly my entire trip was made in the independent parts of the country. I disguised myself. I pretended I was an Israelite. During my trip, my costume was that of a Moroccan Jew. My religion uh, was theirs and my name was Rabbi Joseph. I prayed and I sang in the synagogue. Parents pleaded with me to bless their children etc cetera, etc cetera. so this is how he went around so he's he's in morocco and during this time he's taking notes he's he, topography the temperature how long it took him to get from one place to another writing down all these details about the people and and everything that he encountered eventually things kind of went south for him and he was actually almost killed a couple of times and he he ran into insults and stones were thrown at him and it got to be a very risky business and when he finally left he left by well by the skin of his teeth really he said that he arrived across the algerian border in 1884. he was barefoot thin covered in dirt he made it out of there alive and considering the risk of this kind of travel and who he was as a European, this was just unheard of. And so he published his exploration and he was very much a success as as, a, as an explorer because no one was allowed into this area of the world and no one knew what it was like in there. And so he was able to tell the world about Morocco and its people and what was going on there. Well, so that was a, a talent he had and he got exposed to that part of the world. When he goes about seeking the Lord, it was the memory of the desert. It was the memory of his travels. And it was seeing, actually seeing the Muslims praying several times a day. All these things sparked something in him that he knew, he knew he was searching for the Lord. He knew something was missing. And his search finally brought him back to his faith. And he ended up deciding to become a Trappist monk from this spoiled, rich guy who was, you know, overindulging in everything to a, a traveler who during these travels where he was basically alone because he couldn't share his identity with anyone. It was all a farce. So he was alone with his thoughts and his observations and just his experiences brought him back to the Lord. He liked being a Trappist monk. Everything was was great. He learned a lot. He received a lot. But it wasn't God's ultimate calling for him. He fell in love with Jesus and he wanted to live just like Jesus lived. So I'm going to quote him here. I love our Lord Jesus Christ and I cannot bear to lead a life other than his. I do not want to travel through life first class when the one I love went in the lowest class. The aim would be to lead a life exactly like the life of our Lord as possible, living only by the work of one's hands, following the letter of his commands. This takes him to the Holy Land. He wants to live literally just like Jesus. So he goes to the Holy Land and I'll quote what he said. God enabled me to find what I was looking for the imitation of what was the life of our Lord Jesus in the very same Nazareth. But then he needs to go back to France and there he's ordained a priest. And so now having traveled the world, having lived like Jesus lived in Nazareth for three years, now having been ordained a priest, he feels this call to go to the absolute poorest of the poor. Kind of reminds me of St. Saint, Saint Teresa with a little different twist on it. He realized that the Muslims of Morocco and Algeria and especially the Algerian Sahara, were the most abandoned of all people. When in Beni Abis for three years, he knew he needed to be brother to all. There were slaves there and this scandalized him. There were, of course, the Muslims and the Jews, all these people in need of Christ. So he decided they're all God's children. I need to be a brother to all of them and form relationships. I'm going to quote him. From 4.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m., I never stopped talking and receiving people, slaves, the poor, the sick, soldiers, travelers, and the curious. During this time, there was this struggle because there was on the one hand to serve the people that God had sent him to serve. But then on the other hand, he wanted to be a hermit and spend all this time in prayer. And this is something that he said inwardly, I reproach myself for not giving enough time to prayer in the daytime. They never stop knocking on my door. And at night, which would be the proper time, I'm so wretchedly tired that I just drop off to sleep this battle. And so many of us go through it too, you know, like we're busy with our jobs, our life, our family, whatever. And we'd like to spend more time in prayer. And he came to this conclusion when he was on a retreat. And here is uh, from a retreat that he went on what he felt that Jesus was saying to him. So this is according to Charles, Jesus's words to him. It would be very wonderful and very right to be able to contemplate me unceasingly and never lose sight of me. But in this world, that is not possible for ordinary people. You will be able to do it only in heaven. What you can and should do during the time you use for occupations other than prayer alone is to keep the thought of me as actively before your mind as you can and the nature of your work permits. As you will see, prayer is primarily thinking of me with love. The more loving that attention is, the better is the prayer. And that's from a retreat in that he went on. So he learned from that because that was a real struggle for him. Like I'm serving these people and I'm trying to get to be like a hermit and pray. And don't we all wish we could have more time for prayer, but our lives are so busy and we just need to be thinking of Jesus continually because he's with us all the time. We can have an ongoing interior conversation with him all the time. Charles did. The Bishop of the Sahara spent several days in Beni Abbas where he was. And he came, he had come from the Tuaregs. Charles really did feel attracted to these people. They lived in the heart of the desert and there were no priests there for them. So he, you know, wanting to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, he asked the Lord, could I go there? And he asked the bishop and he was given permission. So from 1904 to 1916, he went to the people, the Tuaregs, and they're pretty much a nomadic people. They're pastoralists. You know, they have flocks, and, and this is how he reached out to them. For the moment, I am a nomad going from camp to camp, trying to build up familiarity, trust, and friendship. This nomadic life has the advantage of allowing me to see a lot of people and to get to know the country. Remember, he loved traveling. He had a devotion to the Sacred Heart and he brought that Sacred Heart, the divine and human heart of Jesus, so that people could approach God. He prayed to the Lord to send saints and evangelical workers to the the Touaregs because they didn't have anything like this. They really needed priests and people to show them about Jesus. And he prayed for that. To that end, he prayed and requested that he could actually settle down there in Taman Reset, which is in Algeria. During World War One, Europe was being torn apart, but eventually the war reached Sahara and and all those tensions were there and he was he was shot and killed on December first, nineteen sixteen. Interesting thing about Charles's life is that he didn't seem to accomplish a whole lot during his life, very unknown to the world. But Kind of like St. Therese of Lisieux, After he died, his, his spirituality and his popularity kind of spread. So it's almost as if once he died, things began to happen. You know, they did. And so obviously there had been two documented cases of a miracle on, through his particular intercession. One was curing uh, someone from bone cancer who would have died. And another was somebody who fell 15 feet and hit a bench and it impaled them. It was 21 year old man and he was healed. And I think it's interesting that, you know, okay, he had these cures and that's wonderful. They weren't dramatic. They weren't like Fulton Sheen, who through his intercession, a child was raised from the dead, or or like John the 23rd, who went into a dying woman's room who was waiting to die and had a conversation with her and told her she'd get well and he was in there quite a bit and then she got up and lived very long completely cured. I mean it wasn't dramatic. Nothing about him was really dramatic. He was often hidden. He wanted to live just like Jesus. That's what makes a saint. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Pray with me. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you.
1: You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Durko, produced at the studios of matri Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit matri To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org.